0: Good morning, Timberline. I suppose you could say that this morning is really more of an extension of what was started last week, and as the worship was being lifted up in glorious praise to Jesus this morning through the leading of the worship team, I couldn't help but think in my mind that this subject of the incomprehensible worth of wisdom has been played out already this morning. I mean, how is it that anyone could come to the saving knowledge and faith of the Lord Jesus Christ apart from the wisdom of God? What that that tells me is that somebody had the courage enough to come into your life and inform you of who Jesus is. And as Brady so well put it this morning, it's the work of the Holy Spirit that just illuminates and opens up and provides for us this excitement over the Lord Jesus Christ, and so this is this is the subject of our morning. It's in Proverbs chapter 2, so if you'll open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, this is where we're going to start this morning. It, this is a book that uh, is filled with the wisdom of God, and I, I think it would be sufficient to say that. Many of us probably have read through the book of Proverbs. I know there are many who, who go through the regimented task of reading each chapter once a day for a month because there's about the same amount of chapters in the book of Proverbs as there are in a month. And so people take the intentionality of once a day reading the book of Proverbs. And I think that's awesome. How many of us, however, are reading the book of Proverbs in order to get something out of it? How many of us are really just wanting to know how is it? what, what decisions should I make throughout the course of the day in order that something good will happen to me? Uh, Learn something of conflict management. Or maybe we want to learn something of financial management. Or uh, how to plan the course of our day. Or something along those lines. Or what about what not to do? So in order for things to go well for me, uh, the book of Proverbs offers me several words of wisdom on what not to do because if I were to do those things, it wouldn't go so well for me. And I think it's really appropriate that we would follow that sort of instruction, but I will say to you that an unbeliever could listen to the same sort of instruction and benefit the same way if that is the approach of Proverbs chapter 2. In fact, that's the same approach of the entire scriptures, uh, because while we do tend to navigate towards the book of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and some of these other literatures as the wisdom literatures, the fullness of the Bible is the wisdom of God. So as we read Proverbs 2, I just want to... Uh, inform you and exhort you in this way, that as you read the sort of wisdom literature that God has to offer us, that it's best suited if you read it through the context of God's character. That you're actually learning something of God in the process of reading Proverbs. That God offers us such wonderful treasure in who Jesus Christ is, and it's not sufficient to just know who God is, but that we would actually follow through and that we would become now in the church body a visible demonstration of the wisdom of God. And King Solomon is the one who wrote Proverbs, and while I'm not going to be able to give you an exhaustive definition of wisdom, I am going to be focusing my attention in on just one chapter. And last week, remember, we looked at the fear of God, and and that there's there's this notion that there is a God to be feared, because while humans can kill us, that's all they can do. But God has a power not only to kill us, but now he has a power over our soul. But you can be comforted in knowing that the same God who has power over your soul is the same God who loves you and comforts you and says, place all of your burdens on me now because he gladly accepts it and he wants to do good to his people. What a marvelous God we serve. So I want to start with the definition of wisdom. And it's going to be a very vague definition. Living according to what you know. Living according to what you know. And, and as I offer definitions like this, I have, people have come up to me and said, your definitions are way too vague. Right? They just want this exhaustive definition. But I will tell you, the reason why it is this vague is because there are two distinct categories of wisdom that are offered in the Bible. There's the world's wisdom, and then there's God's wisdom. And so the world's wisdom operates according to what they know of the world. And the Bible tells us that that it's impossible for someone who doesn't know God to understand spiritual things. And so they operate under the direction and wisdom of what this world has to offer. And we're going to look a little bit more into that subject this morning. But then there's a second kind of wisdom that's rooted in knowing God. So for the Christian believer then, wisdom is acting in a manner in which you know God. So you're living your life according to what you know of God's character. In fact, the hallmark of the Christian faith falls into the category of godly wisdom, at least that's the expectation, isn't it? But how many of us, when we're faced with certain trials in our life, we want to seek out godly wisdom from somebody, and the, and, and the, the, the folks in the congregation are scarce? I mean, think about it. Consider it for for a moment. You're dealing with a trial in your life. Who are you going to go to? Who is it that you can trust with this sort of wisdom to help you and guide you in a way that you can overcome that circumstance. I I mean, it's sad to say it personally, but the very thing that you would expect in the church is unfortunately very scarce. And so my desire is that Timberline Church would be filled with godly wisdom, that there wouldn't be any one of you among here that somebody wouldn't turn to for godly instruction because you have rooted yourself in the knowledge and the character of who God is. I'm convinced that God's wisdom can answer for us all of life's dilemmas, every single one of life's dilemmas, the near and the far, the small and the big, the known and the unknowns that God's wisdom is operating in your life, even when you don't know it because you have rooted yourself so clearly in his word. And by the time you go home, I hope you will understand what wisdom is, where God's wisdom can be found and how one can receive God's wisdom, because I don't think it should be a lofty expectation that a Christian would be marked with God's wisdom Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 22 uh, sorry has 22 verses And, and I think this is very significant because when you look at the the Hebrew language there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet and so this chapter really is kind of like saying everything you need to know about wisdom from A to Z is covered in this chapter and I think this is no small thing because I think that we are going to learn something of wisdom that we can apply every single day My desire for you this morning is not simply to impute knowledge to you. It is not simply that you would walk out knowing that there are certain tasks that you could do right or wrong, but that you would be rooted in God's word, that he would ignite a desire for you to pursue God's wisdom, which for all of us, as we will see, is a valuable, infinitely valuable treasure that God offers so freely to his children. God's wisdom answers for us all of life's dilemmas. God's wisdom then ushers us into the kingdom of God and it keeps us on track with God's character God's righteousness so that as you start to veer off the road of righteousness that wisdom just draws you right back in and says this is the way of righteousness for all of God's children and as Proverbs chapter 2 10 says and as we will see this morning I pray that it will become a pleasant aroma to your souls It is the pursuit of a Christian believer to both seek and practice godly wisdom. One of the distinguishing characteristics of a Christian is one who exercises godly wisdom. This is why it's no surprise to me that Solomon starts this chapter with, My son. And while Solomon is writing literally to his son, it's also an application to all of us as God speaks through his holy word to you. He's saying, My son. This this sermon then, this message this morning, is dedicated to God's children. This is for anyone who has placed their faith and hope in Jesus Christ. This exhortation is for you, it's for me, and it's for all of God's children. Because as I said earlier, Christians today are lacking in godly wisdom. Why is it the case when God offers it so freely to us? Well, I think the Bible tells us, and I'm convinced that the reason why people don't associate most Christians as those who have wisdom is because it's not enough, listen to me very closely, it's not enough to just be considered a child of God. Now, I'm not questioning God's work in your life, but what I'm saying is that when you become a child of God, the pursuit begins at that moment, right? Because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, as the Bible says, which means that it's not just sufficient that you've come to a saving faith, but now that you have that saving faith, your, your, your senses have been opened up to the reality of God's character in such a way that you actually can pursue God's wisdom. And the Bible says, seek it out. Seek it out with the fullness of your faculty. The author says, my son, if you receive my words, he says. There's an implication here that one who desires wisdom must find it in God's word. It's not the words of the world that one should be seeking out. It's not the words of this fallen world. It is the words of God who offers it to us. And it begs the question, doesn't it? What are you listening to? What words do you receive on a daily basis? Do you open God's word? And are you consuming yourself with his words? Or are you consuming yourself with the words of others? This is a non-negotiable. Wisdom can only be achieved through God's word. You must open up the Bible and know something of God if you are to exercise godly wisdom. And I can't stress the importance of this enough as we dive into the rest of this chapter. And as we open up the Bible that this is a necessary ingredient for wisdom that God offers so freely to all of us. His word is our manual for how to conduct ourselves in this godless world in order that people can see God's light shine through them. Well, I do intend to open up God's Word this morning, and I pray that as I open up the Word, that you would receive it like you receive the air that you breathe. That, that, that as we read the wisdom of God, that you would recognize that it is a mighty, benevolent God who has provided to us His perfect will. The Word is our living water, it is the source of God's wisdom, and it is the knowledge of God, and it is to be feared As we looked at last week. For this reason, I'm going to ask you all to stand up with me for the reverent reading of God's word. We are in Proverbs chapter 2. This is the wisdom of God. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes... If you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge, the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from men of perverted speech, who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house sinks down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of the good and keep the paths of the righteous, for the upright will inhabit the land and those with integrity will remain in it, but the wicked will be cut off from the land and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your wisdom. Lord, open us all up, as you already have, through the singing of worship to your will, that that we would set aside the distractions of this world in order to focus our attention on you, that you would place us on the right path and that you would help navigate our lives in a way that can be led only by the work of the Spirit. That we would, we would forsake ourselves in order to follow Jesus Christ. Lord, we give our lives to you this morning and throughout the course of our week and the remainder of our lives. Lord, we want you to be in control. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start with the question, what benefit is there to being a Christian? And I, I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people... And I've asked the question, well, when? When are you going to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ? Because God forbid something happens to them on their way home and they're faced before this mighty, powerful God. And the answer usually comes back, you know, I'll think about it. And and at some point down the road, maybe I'll make that confession. So they're thinking, you know what, I'm going to enjoy the fullness of this world in the flesh and then, sometime towards the end of my life, then it's at that point that I'll give my life to Jesus Christ, as if to say that if I were to do it now, recognizing that change will be required, that I'm going to somehow live a boring life. That there's no benefit associated with being a Christian, but I would argue that's certainly not the case. Is it all pie in the sky, as some people would say? Or is there steak on our plate while we wait? <laughs> Steak is so much better than pie, folks. I'm just going to start there, right? God gives us so much grace in the steak. And so we're going to be following through three reasons why someone ought to pursue wisdom. And if you have your bulletin, you can follow along in your bulletin as well. First, we ought to seek wisdom because God's wisdom is a valuable treasure. Second, we ought to seek wisdom because wisdom delivers us from evil. And finally, we ought to seek wisdom because wisdom ushers us into the kingdom of God. So let's look at the first reason, according to Proverbs chapter 2, that we ought to seek wisdom. It is because wisdom is a valuable gift from God. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of god for the lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding and i'm reminded of this series called gold rush some of you may have seen it maybe not but it's one of these series where it goes it just walks you through the sort of detail and effort that it takes to turn mountains upside down to find this little tiny lump of gold and it causes you to question is it really worth it is it really worth this amount of effort and money and energy in order to dig something up to find this little piece of gold? And when I was searching out the wedding ring for my wife, I mean, I was, I was struck. I mean, as a young man who had a very limited budget at the cost of diamond rings, this little tiny thing that I'm not impressed with, by the way, uh, cost just way more than it should for the size that it is. And so it causes you to question, like, what is it that actually adds value? Like, what is it about this diamond that brings value? Well, there's two ways that people associate value. One is how rare is this thing? And apparently diamonds are very rare. And secondly, what is the quality of it? Is is the quality of it good? Well, I would say that God's wisdom has unmatched quality. You'll find many if statements in this passage, which is finally followed by a then statement. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge. And you'll notice that in the if statements that, that we're instructed to search with all the fullness of our faculty, right? If you receive my words and treasure my commandments, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it for, as for hidden treasures, then it says you will understand the fear of the Lord, the wisdom of the Lord. Of God, We are told that if we search diligently, if we search with effort, that God will provide wisdom to his people. Now, it would seem to me that in this passage, it would imply that anybody who would simply search out wisdom will find it if indeed they search it out like silver. And it does beg the question, is this true? Because I know many, as it were, who are searching out wisdom. And they're asking the question, where can I find this wisdom of God? And, and, and will they receive that wisdom? Are there any here who would not desire wisdom, for instance? I think that all are in pursuit of some kind of wisdom. And there's a parallel passage in Job that offers insight to this. Turn with me to Job chapter 28. Job chapter 28. It offers an alternative perspective. Uh, because Job says wisdom cannot be found. And so we're, first with our, we're faced with our first dilemma this morning. Job 28 says, Surely there is a mine for silver. Does that sound familiar? And a place for gold that they refine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out the farthest limit, the horror and gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in the valley away from where anyone lives. They are forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air far away from mankind. They swing to and fro As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the place of sapphires, and it has dust of gold that path no bird or prey knows, and the falcon's eye has not seen it. The proud beasts have not trodden it. The lion has not passed over it. Man puts his hand to the flinty rock and overturns mountains by the roots. He cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eye sees every precious thing. He dams up the streams so that they do not trickle, and the thing that is hidden he brings out to light. But listen to this in verse 12. But where shall wisdom be found, and where is the place of understanding? Verse 13, man does not know its worth, and it is not found in the land of the living. "...the deep says it's not in me, the sea says it's not with me, it cannot be bought for gold, and the silver cannot be weighed as its price, it cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx or sapphire, gold and glass cannot equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewels or fine gold, no mention shall be made of coral, of crystal, the price of wisdom is above pearls, the topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold." from where then does wisdom come and where is the place of understanding? It is hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. Abaddon and Desai, we have heard a rumor of it with our ears. God understands the way to it. He knows its place, for he looks at the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. When he gave the wind its weight and a portion of the waters by measure, when he made a decree for the rain and a way for the lightning of the thunder, then he saw it and he declared it, he established it and searched it out, and he said to man, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to turn away from evil is understanding it. Amen. And so we're faced with our first dilemma this morning, aren't we? Which is it? Is it possible to know the wisdom of God if we would just seek it out enough? If you were to read Job, you would say, no, it's not. You cannot seek out the wisdom of God. No living person has seen it. And yet Proverbs chapter 2 says, if you search it out with the fullness of your faculty, you will find it. Well, which is it? Do we just simply muster up enough good intentions the answer is provided to us in part here in Proverbs chapter 2, verse 1. It says, you must be a child of God. He says, my son. So for anyone who's seeking out wisdom this morning, it begins, like I said, with the fear of God. There is a valuable treasure that can be found, and the requirement is this, that you would know God. Yes, children of God, there is a benefit to knowing God. Through his wisdom, wisdom offers to us the greatest answers to some of the greatest dilemmas in this life. And you just cannot put a price tag on that. It is rare. Its quality is unmatched. It is utterly priceless. Why should one seek wisdom and where can it be found? According to Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 4, you will find a treasure of infinite value from God. James chapter 1, verse 17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. Proverbs chapter 2, and verse 6 says, The Lord is where you will find it, and it comes from his mouth. From his mouth, from his word, as it is revealed in the Bible. It's fascinating to think that when God created everything, and after he had created the beasts, he created man, and he gave this faculty of language, this faculty of words, You know, your ability to speak is not simply rooted in your ability to communicate with people around you. God gave you speech for the very purpose of worshiping God. You are intellectual people that can now commune with an intellectual and logical God. Praise God. This is what distinguishes you from the creatures, for instance. God is so generous in giving wisdom. He says, if you seek wisdom, you will find it. God does not withhold wisdom from anyone who sincerely searches it out. He wants you to find wisdom. God, he just enjoys doing good to his people. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives, listen to this generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. It says without reproach, without reproach. Just think think of this for a moment. This this is what I brought to the the senior group who's going through the book of James, and so I just want to share this with the congregation as well. Just imagine for me, with me for a moment, that somebody comes up to you who is dealing with some tragedy, and they have a family to feed, and they're unable to feed their family. They come up to you and they say, "Look, I I am I am in a tough place, and I need a, a week's worth of meal to just carry me." until I can get this job that's going to be starting on Monday. And so out of the compassion of your heart, you say, I'm going to feed your family, you and your kids, for two weeks, not just one, because I know how much you need this meal. And I want to make sure that you are cared for. Now imagine with me for just a moment that same family comes to you the next day, the next day. A week hasn't passed by, only a day, and they say, I've got a dilemma, I've got an issue. The two weeks' worth of food that you gave us, we ate it all up last night. The room just sunk a little bit, right? I mean, why in the world would I give you a week's worth of food? I gave you two, and you demolished it in just one day. It would be foolish of me to say that I'm going to give you this food. Right, right, my attitude towards a person like that would be with reproach. But God says he, is, he dishes out wisdom without reproach, which means, okay, that if you fail to measure up to God's wisdom, and you come back to God and you say, God, I'm seeking out wisdom. He says, I'm going to give it to you without reproach. We serve a benevolent God who loves you and cares for you. And he loves you so much that he's, con- he, he's willing to give you wisdom like nobody else. Yes, from his mouth comes knowledge, and it is pleasant to the soul. We are also told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? And we saw this last week, that it's, it's not just simply terror-struck people. That the fear of the Lord is that we would know everything there is to know about God, that we would there would be a fearful and, and reverence of awe towards all that God is. Yes, his, his wrath, his holiness, his justice, but also his love and his mercy and his kindness. All of God's characteristics now at play in this concept of the fear of God. He is not like us. He is good, and he is loving, and he is righteous, and he is relational. He is holy and just, and yes, he is full of wrath, and by no means will he allow the wicked to escape. Wisdom in its proper context is always derived from a healthy fear of the Lord. It is that healthy fear that directs us in our lives. Are your actions predicated on the fear of man, or are your actions predicated on the fear of God? When we realize the authority of God, our decisions are directed towards one sovereign Lord, which brings me now to my next point. We ought to seek wisdom because it will deliver you from evil. Look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 7 to 19. There are two paths mentioned here in Proverbs chapter 2. First, there's a path of godly wisdom. Notice verse 8, the path of justice. Verse 13, the path of uprightness. Verse 20, the path of life and the path of righteousness. Then there's the path of worldly wisdom, notice in verse 14, the way of evil. Verse 15, the crooked path. Verse 18, the paths to the departed. And all of us gravitate towards one of those two paths. You're not, you're, you're not somehow caught in between. You're either moving towards a path of injustice or you're moving towards a path of righteousness, as the Bible calls it out. And what does God's wisdom do but keep us on the path of God's wisdom? God's wisdom says, stay on the good path. And so in verse 20, it says, so you will walk in the way of good. God's wisdom also guards us from the path of worldly wisdom. Look, God's godly wisdom says, stay off of the evil path. So on the one hand, it says, stay on the good path. On the other hand, stay stay off of the evil path. He's a shield to those who walk with integrity, verse 7. Wisdom guards the path of justice, verse 8. Verse 8. Discretion will watch over you, understanding will guard you, verse 11. Wisdom will deliver you from the way of evil, verse 12. Wisdom will deliver you from the forbidden woman, verse 16. None who go to her will come back, nor regain the paths to righteousness. Wisdom delivers us. And look closely at what we're actually being delivered from. We are being delivered from, as verse 12 says, men of perverted what? Speech. Verse 16 says that we're being delivered from the adulteress and her smooth what? Words. So let me ask you again. Whose words are you listening to? Are you listening to the words of life? The words that come from the Bible? Or are you listening to the words of the world? Words have power, you know? I mean, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? Couldn't be further from the truth. Words are extremely important. And there's no other way to receive wisdom than from God. That's what makes it so valuable. Only God can dish out this kind of wisdom. But here's the catch, though, okay? Because God doesn't protect you by making decisions for you. I think a lot of us would just wish that God just makes this decision for me. But God doesn't make that decision for you. He gives us wisdom so that we can make the right decisions. This requires us to open up the words of the Bible, to dig into it, to have our face rooted in the word so that we know when we're faced with certain challenges and trials in this life that we would know the direction that God would have us go. In the earlier years of his life, Solomon, he was a man of great wisdom. Right? And you watch, like as his life progresses, you see that wisdom just sort of declining over time, right? It, again, emphasizing this reality that we must always seek wisdom. You know, it's not just a one and done. God doesn't just say, here you go, you got the wisdom, and you're off to the races. No, you continually, continually seek God's wisdom through his word. I hope that you will become obsessed with God's word. I, I hope that you just find such great treasure and joy as you continue to open up god's word and i know this feeling friends that that y- you're just wrapped up in the, the distractions of the world and you tell yourself i'm just not ready to open this thing up like there's something that just is just resisting the urge you know to just go into the bible and then you open it up and then you start reading and then you can't you just can't even take your face out of it and then by the time you're done, you're like, why was it so hard to open it up when it was just so much treasure over the last two hours? I mean, there's been times where my wife comes in at three in the morning and says, are you going to go to sleep? And I'm like, I can't. I, I, this, this thought is just resonating, and I haven't reconciled it yet, you know? Move along, but no. No, no, she's very gracious. She, she loves me, and she wants me to get my rest. <laughs> and then, you know, just to add to the story, okay, there, there are times where it's like you'll be up to, like, Four in the morning, and the Spirit will just feed you this amazing truth, right? Only you don't know how to articulate it. So then you wake up the next morning, and and then your wife asks you, like, what did you get out of it? And you do your best to try and explain it to her. She says, I have no idea what you're talking about. And you're like, come on, you know? But uh, that's just how it goes sometimes, you know? Well, I want to give you a brief example of a dilemma that Solomon overcame. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. This is right after Solomon chooses wisdom over earthly riches. Remember that? God says, what is it that you want? Anything. And it's like an open book. He really could have said, I want all the riches of the world. But he knew that no amount of riches in this world would ever outweigh the wisdom of God. So he says, give me wisdom. And indeed, God gives him wisdom. And then he also gives them the earthly riches. Remember that? Well, two prostitutes came to Solomon. Remember this? To settle a dispute over a baby that was born. Both prostitutes had a child and one of them died. And and the prostitute, the mother who had the child that died, swapped her baby out with the other woman's. And so she took the live baby and put the, the dead baby under the breast of the other woman. An evil act, evil act. And so when the woman of the child woke up and saw that this dead child was not her own, she brought this dispute to King Solomon. Now mind you, they didn't have DNA tests back then, right? Solomon couldn't just pull his phone out and start looking at the Instagram photos to figure out whether this baby was the one of the true mother or not. So there, there needs to be wisdom now executed and bring in justice. So she takes her case to Solomon for an answer. And, and it, 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 it causes the question, what would you do in that circumstance? How, how would you decide what sort of decisions to make in order to figure out who the, the mother is? Well, Solomon devised a great plan. He said, I'm going to cut this child in half this way. And then one half will go to one woman, one half will go to the other woman. Problem solved, right? Now, that's that's obviously not what any of us would do, nor is it anything that Solomon was intending to do. But what it does is it reveals the nature of the mother. Because the rightful mother said, give it to the other woman because I can't even bear the thought that my own child would die. So she just freely said, just give the baby to the other woman. The attitude of the other woman was, sounds good to me almost in a casual fashion. Remember that? And so Solomon gave the child to the rightful mother based on her response. And then we read this in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment that the king had rendered, and they stood in awe of the king because they perceived that the wisdom of God was in him to do justice. Do you see this, that the wisdom of God can answer some of life's greatest dilemmas? This is no small thing. There is a great and mighty dilemma that the Lord answers for us. And I know I've talked about this before. This is is what the theologians describe as the divine dilemma. Remember, there was a time when Adam and Eve were created when everything was in its proper place. There's this word that the, 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 the Hebrew loves, shalom, which describes this kind of peace. This kind of communion with God, so when someone comes up to you and says shalom, it's pointing back to that kind of peace and it's pointing forward to the sort of peace that you and I will enjoy someday in the fullness of God's glory. There was a time in human history when there was peace on earth among people and everything was in its proper place and God communed with Adam and Eve and it was beautiful. I can't imagine what that must have been like. In Genesis chapter 3, though, we read of the deception of sin that entered the world. That heart-wrenching moment in the garden when God arrives in the coolness of day, only this time Adam and Eve are nowhere to be found. They're not excited to see God. No, they're hiding in guilt and shame and fear because they have disobeyed God. Sin and deception now entered into the world. Peace was crushed under the weight of sin. Enmity with God, enmity with people proceeded out of that act of sin. The creative order was broken. Peace was broken. And it started with Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3 in verses 1 to 7. And I want to turn there for just a moment. This is too rich not to talk about. Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 to 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. So far so good. Verse 4, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gives them to her husband. Yes, Adam was right there, gives him to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew... That they were naked, and mark this, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. What you have here in this account is the first time that anybody has tried to work out their own salvation. You cannot cover yourself. You see, we have been exposed before God. Suddenly they have been exposed before God. Their nakedness has been exposed. Their sin has been exposed. And what do they do? They go and grab the fig leaf and they cover themselves up. The fig leaf will not cut it. There's only one who can cover your sins. And it is the Lord God. But there is this beautiful thing that said in verse 21. Starting in verse 20, it says, The man called his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. In verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. You see, it took an act of God to clothe them. And there was a blood sacrifice that took place. Only God can offer this kind of covering for sin. The fig leaf will never cut it. And it didn't get better because in chapter 4, we read of the first murder. In chapter 5, we read, I call it the he died chapter. Such and such a person lived so many years, and then he died. And then such and such a person lived this many years, and then he died. And you just see all these, he died, he died, he died, he died, he died. Death has entered the world now as a result of sin and the fall. And then in chapter 6, we read of the most sorrowful depiction of God's attitude towards humanity. God said he regretted making man. And it grieved him to the heart. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Because of the wickedness of man was so great on the earth, and every intention of the thoughts of the heart was only evil continually. And in case you think this is limited to the Old Testament, Romans 3 becomes a parallel passage for all of us, doesn't it? I'll sum it up for you. No one is righteous, no, not one. And I love how he had to repeat that, no, not one, because inevitably there's the one in the congregation, he says, well, you didn't check me out yet. I don't have to. God has spoken. He said, there's no one who's righteous. No, not one. No one understands God. No one seeks God. And mark this, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Do you see the divine dilemma yet? That you will be judged by a holy God. And, and I know that the, the people mean well when they say things like, look, God forgives you and just lets you go. But it's not so simple of an exchange of a transaction that God would just simply allow people forgiveness. Let me illustrate. Proverbs chapter 17 and verse 15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. And the Lord never opposes himself. Notice he says, who justifies the wicked, and he who condemns the righteous are both like an abomination to the Lord. It is an abomination for anyone to justify the wicked. If God is holy, and if God is just, he cannot have fellowship with you. Do you see the divine dilemma? He cannot just simply let you go. If God is holy, and if God is just, he cannot forgive men, because men are wicked. And the judges of this world must do what's right before men. Consider a heinous crime that occurs within your family where you take it to the court, a murder of a loved one, and the judge just simply says, You're good to go because I love you. You would do everything in your power and in your might to seek justice because that judge's position is to do right before men. Now, if that's what you expect of your own court system, what about your God? who is mighty and holy and righteous, and he he seeks out perfect justice. God's servant Isaiah said in Isaiah 64, Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time, and shall we be saved? We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like filthy rags. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. How can anyone be saved? What then, brothers and sisters? Where do we go from here? Friends, the wisdom of God answers all of life's greatest dilemmas. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 18 says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The wisdom of the cross, the message of Jesus Christ, the good news answers for us all of life's greatest dilemmas. It is the wisdom of God that delivers us from evil. How is that? This brings me to my last point. We ought to seek wisdom because it will usher you into the kingdom of God Proverbs chapter 2, verse 20 to 22. Not only does it deliver you from the evil, but it ushers you into the kingdom, right? And there's this word that I'm using usher. Think about ushers in the church body. They meet you at the door and they greet you and then they guide you and they put you in your seat and they're there to welcome you. And if you have any questions, you can go to the usher. I don't think we give our ushers enough credit, friends. It's a stressful thing. I've done it. I don't even want to do it because it's like this, it's very stressful. So it takes a special person of God to be able to usher somebody into this room. How much more then is the wisdom of God going to usher you into the kingdom? Wisdom will greet you, and it will guide you, and it will keep you on the path of righteousness. Verse 20 says, wisdom will keep you on the path of righteousness. It is the wisdom of God that will help you stay on that kingdom path to inhabit the land. Verse 21 uses this word, integrity. And now just think of this word integrity. It's derived in Latin from the word integer, meaning whole. So what it's describing is somebody who's just consistently that way. Right? This is why they say in leadership circles, you want a person of integrity in a position of leadership because they're constant. You know what they're going to be like, and you know that you can rely on them because they are that way. Who in the history of the world has had this kind of constant righteousness? Who in the world has had this kind of integrity to maintain this kind of righteousness? Well, it is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no one but one, the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born into this world as a baby. He learned all of the wisdom from scratch. He learned discernment, and by age 12, he was speaking all kinds of wisdom into the world already. Jesus spoke wise words of, wise, wise words of healing and wisdom and love and peace. He even loved his own enemies, it says. The fullness of the deity did dwell in him. Mystery of mysteries. There is one who deserves to inherit the land, and it is the Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, he does inherit the land, and he is the firstborn among many who will inherit the kingdom of God. It is only through Jesus that you can inherit the kingdom of God. However, we also read, that the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. Now anyone who has had their face in the Bible for very long will, will recognize these words, cut off. Cut off at the very least means taking somebody out of a group of people and putting them to death. It is a just punishment that the wicked would be cut off What's shocking to me, however, is that there are multiple instances in the Bible where this word cut off is used to describe Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, for instance, uses the term, after, and after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And then again in Isaiah 53 verse 8, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living. Stricken for the transgression of my people. Jesus was cut off. How can this be? If Proverbs chapter 2 is truly the way we are to live and Jesus is our example of righteousness, why then would Jesus be cut off? This is why the message of the cross is foolishness to the world, because they entertain such thoughts like this. Why didn't God just stop those wicked men from hanging them on the tree? For those who are being saved, you will recognize that it is the power of God. You see, the wisdom of God was not manifest so that God saves the wise at the expense of the weak, nor that he would save the strong at the expense of the foolish. There is an answer, and it is the answer of wisdom that God offers to us, that offers all of life's greatest dilemmas, the answers provided for us in Isaiah chapter 53. This is worth standing for. Will you stand with me for the reading of Isaiah 53? Starting in verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, and like a root out of dry ground, he had no former majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Why did Jesus endure the torment of the cross? Why did Jesus become sin who knew no sin? Why did Jesus become my lust? Why did Jesus become my murderous heart? Why did Jesus become my greed, my selfishness, my guilt? Because it was necessary, mark this, for redemption. The greatest dilemma now resolved in Jesus Christ... He put to shame the wisdom of this world and he became the sole means of salvation. Whether you're just waking up to the need of salvation or whether you have known Jesus Christ your entire life and you are just feeling exhausted, look to Jesus. Jesus has all the answers and he offers for us the answers to life's greatest dilemma. How much more then will he offer you the answers to the lesser dilemmas in your life? Christ is our victory. He is our shield. He is our exceedingly great reward. You will find it in Jesus Christ alone, and there is no one else by which you will find salvation except through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there are any in here who would turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ, who would disobey this text this morning, I pray for you that you would turn your attention to the Lord Jesus Christ because he offers you the answer to gro- life's greatest dilemmas. All you can do, friends, is come to God with nothing in hand but your reverence towards Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. How is it that God answers life's greatest dilemmas? It's through the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it that God can be both just and the justifier It is because of the Lord Jesus Christ, because God incarnate came into the world. You see, the perfection of Jesus Christ for you and for me. And I'm going to end with this passage out of Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified By his grace, as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was, mark this, to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. How is it that God can forgive sin? He takes it upon himself, friends in order that you can now experience the exceedingly great reward of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wisdom, which overcomes a multitude of sins. It is through your wisdom that all of life's greatest dilemmas can be resolved. Lord, I pray that that as we Go about the activities of this week, that we would be rooted in your word, that we would seek out wisdom. Lord, you say that if we would just ask for wisdom, that you would dish it out without reproach. So Lord, we stand before you, we're seated before you, seeking out your wisdom. And you say if anybody lacks wisdom, we all lack wisdom that you would generously dish it out without reproach. And so, Lord, be with us. Give us your wisdom and and how that we are to respond to some of the trials of our life. Lord, we lift this all up to you and we love you and we praise you and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.